Today is one of the most meaningful yet difficult days of Holy Week. As we pause today to remember all that Jesus did for us and the immense amount of suffering and pain that he went through on Friday, the day that he was put to death. Even reading the scriptures can be so difficult and emotional as we go back and we read the accounts from all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who each give us different pieces of what took place during those final moments, those final hours before Jesus was led out of the city and ultimately placed on a cross for you and for me. Today, what we're going to be looking at is all of the things that surrounded those final moments. And I know so many of us, it's easy to look at the physical aspects of what Jesus went through, the sheer brutality of what he allowed his physical body to experience. And yes, we are going to look at that today. But I would also encourage us as we go through some of these scriptures that we also are going to look at the very heart of our God and his unending and unwavering love and devotion for people. And you're going to see how even in the most difficult time, in the most painful time, in the, in the final moments of his life, he was constantly obsessed with us. He was constantly worried about all of those who were around him. See, he knew his mission. He knew his purpose. He knew what he was facing. And even in the midst of all of that hardship, we were on his mind. And so today we're going to turn to God's word and we're going to be reminded of the incredible God that we serve, the incredible God that we in fact celebrate on this Good Friday. You see, it was a few moments ago that we celebrated Monday, Thursday, where we found Jesus in the upper room with his disciples, sharing a meal and instituting Holy Communion, washing the disciples' feet. And isn't it interesting that it was Jesus who led his disciples to the garden, the very place where he knew his accusers would find him. Very easy to find him there. A place that he had visited often with his disciples. And from that moment on, as he was dragged all around Jerusalem, in and out of different places, in, and in front of different rulers and religious leaders, until ultimately he was led to Pilate. See, his accusers knew that they had to bring him in front of Pilate, who was the ruler of Rome at this time. And they knew that they had to get him to sign off on having Jesus crucified, having him killed. You see, that was their ultimate mission. They were done with his teachings. They were done with having to listen to him claim that he was the son of God. They finally had him in their grasp. And this was their moment. And so we began tonight by looking at Jesus with Pilate. It says in Matthew 27, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, the governor here is Pilate, he asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. 
Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony that they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Here we find this interaction that Jesus actually has with Pilate. And as we read the account, we find out that Pilate actually didn't want to sentence him to death. He was trying everything that he could think of to appease the angry crowd and Jesus' accusers. And no matter what he did, no matter how severely he whipped and beat Jesus, they were not going to be satisfied until he ordered his execution, which is exactly what Pilate did. It says, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, And instead, the uproar was starting to take place. He took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. And he said this, I am innocent of this man's blood. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. And he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And this is what happens next. The governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff on his right hand. They knelt in front of him and knocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him. They took the staff and struck him on the head again And again, and after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and they put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. And this is when we find Jesus having to bear his own cross as they place the cross upon his beaten and bruised body as they continued to hurl insults, as they continued to mock him, as they continued to spit on him and forced him to take one final walk outside of Jerusalem to the place where he would be executed. It says this, as the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country. And put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. I want you to think about this for this moment. Here you just have this innocent guy who's just going about his business, who actually was coming in from the country. And why in the world did this guy get picked? Why was it that they pulled him out of all the people that were surrounding Jerusalem, all the people that were part of this, that Simon was the one that was picked? And isn't it interesting, even in our text, that as the cross was placed on Simon, that Jesus was actually in front of Simon, that Jesus actually led the way. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Simon right now. We don't know if he was a believer. We don't know if he had ever heard of any of Jesus' teachings before. And now here he is in this circumstance, carrying Jesus' cross, and in front of him, he can see Jesus, and Jesus is leading the way. See, here's the interesting thing about people that encounter Jesus. All throughout Scripture, 
that God is always working his plan and his purpose in their lives. See, God knew that Simon would have been picked for this. God knew the impact that this would have on Simon's life. And yet, even though he didn't exchange words that we know of with Jesus, God was doing a work in Simon's heart. And look at how it continues. It says, a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. How in the world did he have the the strength to even be able to say this to them? Hey, don't worry about me. Don't think about me. Don't weep for me. Don't pray for me. In fact, what you should be praying for is yourselves. Isn't it interesting how Jesus always had a way of taking the attention off of himself and putting it on others? That he always had a way of keeping an eternal perspective and wanting people to understand there was a greater purpose and a greater mission that was at work. When they got to the place where they would put Jesus' cross in the ground, this is what happens. It says two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And what's interesting, if you do any research on crucifixions during this time, you know that each and every criminal would do anything that they could to resist being put on a cross, being put to death. In fact, they would spit and they would fight and they would bite and they would kick and they would do everything that they could to resist the soldiers. And of course, they would be overpowered by so many of them. But yet we read that Jesus didn't resist at all. In fact, when they laid that cross on the ground, that Jesus willingly went to the cross, that he crawled upon his own cross for you and for me, that he actually stretched out his hands and that he allowed them to put nails into his hands. And with the strength that he had left, that he actually put his feet together and he allowed them to drive a nail into his feet so that he could experience excruciating pain as they then began to lift the cross and put it into the earth and into its place. Jesus, again, knew what he had set out to do. And then I want you to see what Jesus says. He says this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I want you to think about how powerful this moment must have been. Those that maybe even heard him say these words, he just got done being nailed to a cross and somehow he has the courage and the strength to look to heaven and say, God, can you please forgive them? Can you please once again show grace and mercy to the people that still don't get it, the people that still have hardening of hearts? the people that are still resisting that I am your son and that you sent me to this earth to do something for them that they can't do for themselves. See, I think this is one of the most important scriptures in this whole account. 
as we look at this and as we're reminded of what it is that Jesus, in fact, does for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We don't participate in this. We can't earn this. And I know as we're in this crisis right now and and there's so much fear and there's so much uncertainty, there's some well-intended people that have kind of come out with different ideas about this whole thing. That maybe this is God's punishment upon us. That maybe this is God pointing his finger at us because we became too materialistic or we got too distracted by the cares of the world, or we became too obsessed with money, and so this is God's way of humbling us. And so we better now get on our knees and do this or that, or we need to you know, do these certain things in order to, to make God happy again or to earn God's favor. And yet that's not the message that Jesus taught us. That's not the message that Jesus preached to us. In fact, God tells us that while we were dead in our sins, Christ died for us. Look at this verse again. He turns to God the Father and says, forgive them because why? Because why? Because they don't understand. They don't don't comprehend what it is they are in fact doing. To me, that's what makes this so much more beautiful and so much more meaningful and so much more of an act of love from God. That even as he's hanging on the cross, he has the ability to offer forgiveness. I want you to see what happens next. It says the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others, let him save himself. If he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and they mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And you can imagine at this point, all night long, all day long, all he has heard are insults. All of the things that that Jesus had to experience mentally, from the places that he was dragged around to, from carrying his cross out. And now even as he hangs on the cross, they can't even just leave him in peace. No, they continue to insult him. They continue to mock him. They continue to believe that this was all just a sham. All of his miracles, all of the things that he performed, all of his teachings, he was just another crazy man claiming to be God. And yet somehow he endured that for you and for me. Isn't it amazing the power that words can have in our lives? That words have the power of life and death. And so many of us, I know, we've been struggling these last few weeks as words have come into our minds. And it's an opportunity for Satan to get into our hearts and our minds. And so Satan, what is he doing? He's he's telling us that we should doubt God. Why would a loving God allow us to go through something like this? And if God is real, why hasn't he put an end to this? Why is there more people dying? And why is the news getting worse before it gets better? Or maybe it isn't going to get better. Maybe there is no end in sight. Maybe we will never gather for church again. And this is our new reality and the way that we're just going to live our lives from here on out. All of these lies, all of these things that can get into our minds. And yet we have to continually turn our attention, turn our thoughts 
back to the cross. Focus on what it is that Jesus has, in fact, already done for us. Look at his interaction with the two thieves. It says one of the criminals was hung there, hurling insults at him, doing the same thing the crowd was doing. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But isn't it interesting the other criminal rebuked him? Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? Hey, we're being punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. Confession. But this man has done nothing wrong. It's amazing that he had the ability to say those words, to recognize who Jesus is. And remember, he was there. He had to watch Jesus walk out of that city. He watched as Jesus crawled onto his own cross. He watched the amazing strength that Jesus had in those moments. It says this, he said to Jesus, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe that you are God, that you are the Savior of the world. And look at how Jesus responds to him. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus not not only knew that this was going to be his last day in the physical body that he would breathe his last breath. He also knew that it would be the final day for this criminal that was hanging next to him. And why is that? Because Jesus was not only fully man, he was fully God and he knows the future. And he knew this man's future and he knew that he would be reunited with him in paradise. Again, let me ask you, do you think Jesus was carrying caring more about himself in this moment, or was he caring more about those who were all around him? Amazing, the grace and the mercy that our God has for us. It says this next. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clophis, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, Here is your son. And to the disciple, he said, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. What's going on in this moment? As Jesus is getting really close to, to breathing that last breath, he looks down and he sees his mother Most theologians would tell you that that she's most likely a widow at this point because Joseph doesn't show up for for most of the gospel writings. And Jesus was probably responsible for making sure that she was taken care of. And so he actually, in, in pain and agony and hanging on a cross, has the strength to look to his mom and say, Mom, I want you to look at John because this is now your son who's going to take care of you. And John, I want you to look at my mom, Mary. I want you to look at her because this is your mom now, and you are going to be responsible to take care of her. What incredible love that Jesus had for them. Not only for those who didn't believe in him, not only for those who were mocking him, not only for those who didn't understand the magnitude of this moment, but also for those who were close to him, who were grieving for him. 
And I want to say to you today, if that's you, maybe you live alone. Maybe you've lost a spouse. Maybe you've lost a loved one and you're still navigating the the difficulty of this earth. Realize that God is with you. That he is surrounding you with his love and his peace. And not only is he doing that, but he's surrounded other people to be with you. To walk through life with you. And yes, is it painful? And yes, it's difficult. And yes, there's so many questions that we can ask. But yet I want you to think about this. Even as Jesus is hanging from a cross, he has the ability to love and to care for others. And if he can do that when he's hanging from a cross, certainly he can do that as he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father watching over us. It says this, later, knowing that everything had been finished, And so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there, and they soaked a sponge in it, and they put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. I want you to catch that. Today, on Good Friday, Jesus was in control from the very beginning. Jesus was the one that orchestrated all of the events leading to this moment in time. Remember back to Palm Sunday when he arranged the donkey and the colt and the parade that led into Jerusalem. Remember the upper room and how he was the one that made all of the preparations for that final meal with his disciples. Remember it was he that led the disciples into the garden. And remember this moment, that at just the right time, when the sins of the world were placed upon his shoulders, that he is the one that gave up his spirit, that he is the one that said, it is finished for you and for me. That's the love that God has for us. So listen to me tonight. Realize what it is that Jesus has done for us and that every person he came in contact with, the influence that he had in their lives. There's no way that Pilate walked away from that circumstance not wondering in amazement of maybe this was really truly the Son of God. Remember the impact that Jesus had on Simon as he carried the cross for Jesus. Remember the impact that he had on the women who were weeping, who were wondering what was going on in that moment. And was this it for them? Was it ever going to get any better? And all their hopes and dreams shattered, but yet Jesus reached out to them with love and grace and mercy. Remember the interaction that Jesus had with those two thieves on the cross. And even in that moment, he loved both of them equally. And he still cared about them. And remember the love that he had for his mom. That he would make sure that she was cared for and that she would be provided for from that day forward.
So remember this today, church. God loves you. He's continuing to provide for you and your family. And he is going to see us through this unprecedented time that we find ourselves in. And so when we get discouraged and we get dismayed and we begin to lose hope and the anxiety begins to build up within us, look to the cross. Look to what it is that Jesus has already done for us, that he has in fact defeated sin, that he's defeated death, and that he has defeated every sickness and every illness and every disease we will ever face in this life. He has not stopped working. And on this Good Friday, we can look to him as our source of strength. We can look to him as our source of hope, knowing that he is still at work in our lives and that he is still at work in this world. Amen.